Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony. I get to host this podcast, and today is episode 69. Crystal Evans Hertz is an author, speaker, mother, and really prayer warrior. Yeah, and I love jumping into this topic of prayer with her today. So we are going to dive deep on the idea of prayer and what it means to connect with Jesus. So if you've ever struggled with how to pray, the words to pray, or the idea of stillness, I thought she was talking to me when she was talking about it, you need to listen to this episode. She talked in depth about stillness as a discipline and how um, your brain still works on your behalf when you're still. Beautiful thoughts. We talked about her new book, 28 Day Prayer Journey, about why prayer is part of the way we become addicted to our time with Jesus. This was so good. And if you've ever struggled with prayer or you know someone who struggled with prayer, you need to listen to this episode and share the episode. It would be very helpful for somebody who's struggling with prayer. Also, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of this community Thank you for signing up for the email list. We're getting new subscribers every single day, people who want to hear more and more about what it means to reclaim good practices for faith and life. So if that's you, if you're ready to become part of the Reclamation community, uh, text the word reclaim to 66866. Text the word reclaim to 66866. Remember, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a comment where you can and share the episode on socials or even with a friend. It would mean so much to me. Thank you. And without any further ado, here's my conversation with Crystal. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here today with author, speaker, and uh, a voice in the Christian community, Crystal Hurst. Crystal, thank you so much for being on the podcast and so early this morning, too. (laughs) Yes, it's early in the morning. This is a good time for me with kids still asleep. (laughs) Now, I always love to talk about people's disciplines. And you mentioned, uh, even before we started recording, that you were an early person, Uh, Could you take us through kind of your morning routine on how you get uh, set up for the day? Because I, I, one of the things that we say around here a lot is that if you aren't, if you aren't dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. You seem like a a pretty disciplined person to me. So yes and no. So I'm going to answer this question fully, honestly, I'm going to tell you what my routines have been, and then I will be honest and tell you what they look like right now. So I've never been a morning person, but in 2014, I trained for a marathon. And in order to get those runs in, you learn how to get up early. If you want to get the five miles in, uh, you know, a few times a week in preparation for your long run on Saturday. And so I started waking up at four, leaving home at 4.30 to meet my running group at 5 a.m. And ever since then, my body clock naturally wakes me up early in the morning. And so typically what I like to do is to go out for a walk or a run come back, you know, getting that morning uh, protein shake or whatever. And I try to take care of my home and prepare for my day before my kids get up. A morning devotional will be in the morning. I actually choose or prefer to study at night so that I don't have to shut it down because kids are getting up. I can just stay up until I'm finished. But um, those are the, the, the tenets of the, you know, just the basic routine. But my, my issue right now has been, uh, re- honestly, it's like COVID-19. It's like, okay, my kids are home. So I'm trying to get work done in the morning. And so I break all the rules. I wake up to my phone. I sit in my bed with my laptop until, you know, get as much done until they can get up. Because some of the things that I would do in the morning, they do with me. You know, we make breakfast together. Uh. We'll go on a walk together. And so, so I try to just, you know, all the things you're not supposed to do. And so I've been doing that. And, and literally with the shift in the time, I've been thinking, okay, 
I got to, I got to flip the script again because we might be here for a while. <laughs> oh, amen. And it's been such a strange season. Now you have five kids. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so I have five children. Uh, my husband and I, we each brought one when we got married. So we're a blended family. And then we added three boys after that. The girls are grown and they're not at home. The three boys are still here, 17, 15, and 11. Um, we homeschool and have homeschooled them the whole time on accident. Every year I look at him and say, are we doing this again? But they are still, <laughs> but they are still, um, they are still homeschooled. And so we, we have a living, breathing, moving way that we operate together as a family. But even when you homeschool, um, the kids have co-op classes and they get out for sure. dual credit classes and then there are sports. So us kind of being together non-nonstop has definitely still been a different thing. I, I love to ask people this question. What have you learned about God in this COVID season and this kind of quarantine season? That um, the best way to hear him is to be still. Mm. How, how do you do that with, so listen, I have three kids too. My oldest is 14 and then I have a middle son who's, he'll be 10 soon. And then I have my princess who is eight and there uh, we're a family full of extroverts. And so <laughs> stillness is, is, feels like a unicorn to me. H- how do you capture stillness? Well, honestly, it, it literally is, um, you know, a, a part of that morning. One of the things I do, I still do, um, even though I'm, you know, I turn over and pick up my phone and breaking all the rules. But there's a moment when I first wake up where I just, I just am still. I mm. choose just to be still. And before I move, my prayer to God is um, uh, help me to be an instrument of your love, grace, your mercy, and your power today. What do you have planned for my day that I know nothing about? What are the most important things to you for me to do today? And then I just lay there. And it's amazing that the kinds of things that will rise to the top that I really believe is a Holy Spirit bringing the most important things to the top of my, of my frontal lobe to say, these are all the things that are swarming around in the back. You know, your list is never ending and ever long, but these are the most important things. And, uh, and that is a discipline of stillness. That is also discipline of prayer. I used to wonder why in the shower I would get, you know, I would have all these ideas and then I'd be killing myself trying to get out of the shower and grab a piece of paper and a pencil. Me too. I keep so my I phone in the down. bathroom for this purpose. <laughs> well, I got, I got one better for you. There's this thing called Aqua Notes. It's a suctioned uh, okay. notepad that has a suctioned pencil. So literally while you're in the shower, if you have a thought, you can grab that pencil and write it on the paper. And then I, I but, but the, what, it, what that taught me was when I'm still, my brain works on my behalf. Mm. <laughs> when I'm still, the things that God wants me to think, the things that he wants me to feel, the concepts that he wants me to remember, he actually has the space when I'm still to give me that download. So stillness is a discipline. It doesn't mean you have to be a quiet person. It doesn't mean you have to like being by yourself. But the reality is, is that when you're still, your brain does work. Your body does work and the Holy Spirit has room to do work too. Oh, that's super powerful. Um, I, I love that. When I'm still, my brain works on my behalf. I, I should probably get that tattooed on my arm because I'm a little all over the place. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I get that. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm a high capacity person who regularly overestimates my capacity. Mm. So while I 
can get a lot done and can have a lot of things going, I usually realize one moment too late that there was a straw that broke the back. And so I've had to learn the discipline of stillness, not because I'm a still person, but because I'm not a still person. I have to um, prioritize stillness in my life. Yes, to talk to God. Yes, to give my brain a break. Yes, to let my body do the work and, and to realize that there is a power in me just resting. So we know that there's a Sabbath for living. We understand that the principle of Sabbath applies to uh, to everything from what God says in his word to how we farm land. We, we understand that if you constantly work something, it wears out. Well, our bodies and our brains are the same way. And so mm. stillness as a discipline allows us to access and to tap into a level of powering up that you just don't get extrovert or introvert unless you make room for your brain and your body to rest. That's so powerful. Um, Obviously, you know, we're in a time in our country where um, this is shortly after the murder of of George Floyd, and it feels like there's a lot of trauma, um, especially racially, and and the, the world is responding to it. At least the United States seems to be responding to it differently than um, previous times. Obviously, we've known this has gone on for a really long time. A- as someone who has a, a platform, an African American woman who has a, a platform, how, how does this come up in your stillness? And, and then I guess the other question is how do, how do you respond to it? Well, you know, the one thing I do always like to say is I am one black woman who has one black experience and one black opinion. Mm. <laughs> and so, you know, couched in that, I, I always want to say one person of color doesn't speak for all people of color. Sure, sure. Um, however, I can say that, you know, I, I think that there is a conversation, an ongoing conversation that needs to be had. And just like any conversation, the person's perspective is going to be built by their uh, education, by their experiences, and by what they've been taught based on edu- based on conversations that they've had before. I was just having this conversation with a couple of friends last night, and 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 while one friend was saying, you know, hey, here's why your opinion is not helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Here's why your opinion is empathetic. And these were two people of color. Here's why your opinion is insensitive. The other person was saying, but here's why your emotions need to be in check. And here's why your emotions acted out are problematic. And I was sitting between the two of them saying, so here's why this conversation matters. Because the, the one with the high emotion has had a more difficult, more tainted more one-sided experience that is direct of opportunity, that has been direct of people of other colors, backgrounds, being attentive and being sensitive. He has not had, he had not had um, the experience where people actually cared enough to make changes. Mm. And, and, and so, uh, and then the other one had. So their response to everything that's going on and to what should change is different because of their experiences. The door that the civil rights uh, movement in the 60s opened it it didn't open it it cracked it yeah. so there were some people who got through that door and who have had experiences exposure their families have been able to build wealth they have had multi-generational higher levels of education and that crack for them has said hey listen you can get through you can make changes you can you can uh, uh, you rewrite the scripts for your family and your friends and your community 
But then there were people who didn't get through the crack and, and they still didn't get the opportunity. So they're saying, well, it worked for you, but it didn't work for everybody. And they're saying that door needs to be blasted wide open and we're sick of waiting for it. So I think that, you know, in this conversation, there is a spectrum of experiences. And I think first and foremost, you know, we can model after Jesus where while he always called people out on their junk, he was so very empathetic to their experiences and was interested in where they were and where they'd been. I think of the Samaritan woman. He knew all the answers to the questions. He still asked them anyway. And he engaged in a very long conversation with her as she was working through all of her issues. And then, yes, she went back to her town and a bunch of people got saved. But first, he was patient with her story. Yeah. And I think when we are hearing people's story, instead of trying to explain away their experiences, that gives the empathy needed for a different conversation to take place. So because I've heard you, because I understand, because I'm sorry, yes, what can I do? Yes, what can we change? Yes, let me show you, even as another person of color, what what I have done, what I have had access to, and, and let me open the door a little wider for you. And, and I think that the best way to calm a tortured two-year-old who's in the <laughs> middle of their terrible or terrific twos, no matter how you see it, yes, there has to be boundaries. You don't want them to hurt themselves or hurt anybody else. But a lot of times that tantrum is happening because they don't feel heard. So I, while I don't condone violence, while I don't condone, you know, I, I mean, course, just, right. you know, all these different things, I am saying, you know, it's what you're hearing all over the news right now. Uh, what Martin Luther King said that rioting is the, you know, is the cry of the unheard. I do agree with that principle. And I'm saying that along the spectrum, you have to understand you're dealing with so many different people who've had so many different experiences. And if we can just along the spectrum of empathy, of hearing, of comfort, and of solutionary causes, if we can be humble enough to meet everybody where they are to have that conversation, I think being willing to have that conversation is the beginning of all healing. I, I think that's a, that's a great word. And one of the things I appreciate about you is that you've been incredibly vulnerable just in your, in your ministry um, with your own story and things that you've been through. I, I'm curious, what do you tell your, your boys in, in moments like these? How, how are you discipling young African-American men in, in these kind of moments? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's tough because in our case, our children are beneficiaries of my grandparents' decisions. Mm. Um, their decisions spiritually, their dis- decisions culturally, community. My mother is not even from America. So her upbringing and her parents doesn't, it's not as tainted with the American experience. Um, and so, so, and we've had, my dad has done a lot of racial work. Oh, he sure. has a lot of exposure to different races, different people. He has a highly multicultural platform. So our experience and my kids' experience, honestly, being homeschooled, they've probably been quite a bit sheltered, not in, not intentionally. It's just sure, their yeah. experience. We have a lot of, uh, you know, we, we don't live in a, um, a singular race in community. Uh, we homeschool, our homeschool co-op uh, is predominantly white. There are a lot of blacks, but there, there are also a lot of whites. And so their experience, um, you know, they don't, they look at the screen and they they don't get it. So our discipling of our boys has really been educational in nature. Yeah. 
it's more, it's not so much, we have had the talk, the police thing and, you know, what to do and all that, the color of your skin. And we've had that talk because we just have to be wise parents. But when we had that talk with them, they were just kind of looking at us like, what are you talking about? Like their firsthand experience, they don't have friends who have been shot. They, they don't have friends who've gone to jail. They don't even have friends really yet who've been pulled over by the cops and had a bad experience. But I've had to explain to them just because you have it doesn't mean that other 17 and 15 year olds have not. So our, our explaining to our sons has been more educational in nature. And uh, of course, just in our, in our training, in our, in our schooling, we watch the news. They understand what's happening in culture and all that. But ours has had to have been, ours has been, honestly, you're going to have to have some empathy for people who look like you, who have not had the privileges that you've had. Um, because while there is a racial divide, there's also a socioeconomic divide. There's also a cultural divide. And so you've got people of color who don't get the experiences that other people of color have had. So we've had to educate them and say, listen, you know, you don't want to estrange yourself from people who look like you by not being empathetic with the experiences that they've had. You, you, you need to thank God for what you've had. Thank God for your parents and your grandparents and your great grandparents. But then here's the reality. And I hope to God that one day you don't have a rude awakening because culturally, multicultural or not, homeschooled or not, one day it is highly likely that somebody won't care about any of that and will only see your color. And you need to be prepared for that. Yeah, I can't even imagine. It, it feels like such an important conversation and, and a different conversation. Um, and I, and I, think, I think one of the things that's exciting to me about this is that Christians everywhere seem to be engaged in the more com- in the conversation more than ever before, and so it, that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited that you've got this new resource coming out um, uh, on prayer. In moments like these, what role does prayer have in um, in guiding us through the trauma? You know, and I think that the answer to the question is embedded in your question. Mm-hmm. You said, "What role does it have in guiding us?" through the trauma. And that is exactly the role. Prayer helps us know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. We are able to, when we get still and we say to God, listen, (laughs) thank you for who you are. And you have been the God of all eternity. And because you have a a 30,000 foot perspective on everything that's happening, what do I do? Where do I start? Would you show me who to engage with, what book to read, goodness, what movie to watch, which newscast to listen to, or more than one because they all have a bias. Or would you just, you know, would you just, would you guide me, especially for the person who doesn't know where to start? You know, I always say the reticular activation system is a system that works in your head that once you start paying attention to something, your brain starts working on your behalf to keep helping you uh, pay attention to that thing. If I go and say the last time I bought a car, 2012, thank God my minivan is paid off. But when I went and bought it, (laughs) when I went and bought it, I didn't know. I'd had a Honda before, so I went there, but I was also like, let me check out the Toyotas and let me check out the Siennas, you know, and let me check out the Chevrolet, the American model. Okay. So I went and looked at the minivans. Now, all this time, all of these minivans have been on the road, Mm. but it wasn't until it was time for me to start buying a car buying a minivan, that I started noticing them everywhere. They had always been, they'd always been there. I just wasn't looking for them. 
So what we need to do is ask God, show us what we need to see, bring to our attention what we need to pay attention to. And prayer is the way that we go searching for our minivan. It's the way we go searching for what God is um, wanting to bring to our minds and to our attention. And it's almost like until you ask the question, some things you will never see. Until you're looking for guidance and direction, you don't receive it. And, and so, at some things, I think that there are some things only prayer unlocks. There are moments, uh, you know, when at the beginning of my day and I say, hey, God, you know, what do you... <laughs> What do you want me to what do you want me to do today? I really believe that it's not until I ask the question that he says, "Oh, she's wanting to cooperate with me today." Prayer unlocks this knowledge of God, this this not the sovereign knowledge, but this functional knowledge that actually she wants to hear from me. So let me go ahead and download something for her. Is it, it was there. that it opens up the relationship? It, it it opens up the relation. I mean, like any other relationship. Yeah. I mean, there are things that I can, I can know about my husband, but you know, and anybody who's been married for any length of time knows this, you can be married for 20 years and there can be conversations you've never had. So unless you're intentional about continually showing up to the conversation, you will never know what's there to be unlocked, what's there for you to know until you prioritize and consistently prioritize the conversation with the person that matters. Now, one of the things you mentioned in the book is that this, um, project was born out of a particularly dry season for you. And it it came from an Instagram challenge. So I always like to highlight when social media does something positive. So (laughs) what what do you, um, how often in your walk with the the Lord, your, your life, have you found dry seasons? And then why was it uh, time for a prayer challenge to break out of this one? Yeah, the prayer, this prayer channel on Instagram was because because I needed to pray more. My grandmothers, my whole family, I've got a lot of prayer worries, but one grandmother in particular had a spiral notebook. And if you told her to pray for something and you didn't tell her it was answered, she would fuss at you. And she would say, listen, I wrote this down in my, in my prayer notebook. And if God has answered, I need to know so I can cross it off. And I just remember thinking, you know, I want to pray like that and I'm not. So what can I do? And like, you know, everything else, if you announce it to the world, then you feel accountable. So I was like, if I tell everybody I'm going to, pray for 28 days straight, invite them to do it along with me. And I pray and write my prayers down on social media. And at that time it was five times a day that I will be motivated because it's like Weight Watchers. If you know you have to weigh in every week, then you're conscious of that when when you're eating. So that was the motivation behind it. Let me say, I'm going to do it for 28 days, write prayers, put them on Instagram, encourage other people to pray. This is when Instagram was chronological. So it was, it was helpful in that way. And let me see if it will help me to prioritize prayer. Um, and it did. And then it just became a self-published book. And now the publisher, my publisher said, hey, can we have that and make it available to a broader audience? And so it's been, um, you know, revised and rewritten in so many ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, that came out of a season where I just wasn't prioritizing consistent communication with God. Mm-hmm. Of course, I pray to him when there's a problem. You know, it's right. like, oh, my gosh, get me out. But in terms of just this ongoing communication, I wasn't doing that very well. When you ask how often do I have dry seasons, I mean, I was thinking back is such a good question. Um, what, you know, how many times can I remember like just being, just being, feeling barren, you know, just, mm. just, fit, just feeling fallow. I, I think that it has happened. A deep, deep barrenness has happened once a decade. Wow. And now that I think about it, it's probably been once right smack dab in the middle. Um, 
where I just felt completely disconnected, completely disconnected. And my way out has always been, it hasn't been the Bible study. Sure. It hasn't been going to church. It has been talking to God, talking to God. I, I mean, in my marriage, there have been dry seasons and the way out of it has been to say, oh my gosh, we have to talk. You know, we, we've got to talk. Like we're passing each other in the night and, and, and we're functionally okay. Like it's not like, you know, right. I'm not cheating on my husband. You know, I'm not, uh, uh you know, my, with, with God, it's not like I'm turning my back on him. It's just, we're just, you know, it's an exchange. It's, it's hey, not. It became business partners and not. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, wait, partners. yeah, we got to stop. We got to stop and talk. So my way out has always been to say, oh my gosh, God, I gotta, I gotta talk to you. I gotta be honest about where I'm at and what I'm feeling and then prioritize what you want me to see, what you want me to do and who you want me to remember that you are. Now you mentioned in the Instagram challenge, you were doing it five times a day. And then in the book, there's a three times a day rhythm. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to confess I, at my best, I'm a twice a day prayer. (laughs) The third one seems like a really big stretch. Why the multiple times a day, um, rhythm in, in the, as a, as a spiritual practice? Well, the idea here is that while you can get on your knees and go to your prayer closet and tell all your kids, you know, threaten them within an inch of their lives to be quiet so that you can have your time with God. For me, as a woman uh, who, who, who has people in her family at home, who also works from home, <clears throat> you know, who's, I, I mean, I always say I've got like five jobs. I serve my dad at the church or do some things at his national ministry and, you know, just, just, just tons of things going on. Sure. You know, me getting on my knees at, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening, please do not envision that that's what that means. <laughs> the concept here is that the scripture says in First Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And what does that look like? So all we were trying to do when we did it online was give you five opportunities mm-hmm. to remember. You know, in the book, it's the three opportunities to remember. But honestly, the idea is that it's an ongoing conversation. So I have this app called Voxer and yeah. I use oh, yeah. it religiously. Sure. Yeah, I use it religiously because it allows me whenever I have a moment to pick up my phone, to press a button and to talk to somebody, uh, you know, you can call them verbal messages. I mean, it functions like a walkie talkie. And so not only can I leave a message whenever I need to, but then whenever I, I, I have a minute in the car waiting on a kid from a practice while I'm cooking dinner, I can have a conversation with friends, even if they left me that message three hours ago. So it's this ongoing conversation all day long and prayer is the same way. So we were just trying to give you three opportunities to remember, but I'm like, if you're doing dishes and you have a quiet moment, that's a good time to pray. I I would put prayers inside of my, uh, my kitchen cabinet. So if I went to go grab plates to set the table for dinner, I was met with a prayer or, or verse, um, you know, above my laundry uh, to do that in my car, on my dashboard, prayer requests, scriptures, anything that keeps me connected to God, who he is, what he wants for me, what I need from him, that can happen ongoingly throughout the day. So we just picked three typical times that we might remember at the very least morning, evening, and afternoon. Many of us eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner at that time to go a little bit beyond the, you know, now I lay me down to sleep prayers or the, you know, God is grace prayers for food. It's like, Hey, at a minimum at three times a day, can you say, I'm just going to remember that there's a God who's always willing and ready to talk to me and let me make room for that. But it doesn't have to be three. It can be 10. It can be two, 
But the idea is that he is always available, always ready, and always open-eared to hear what we have to say. And when we have those moments in our day where we want to hear from him or want to talk to him, that prayer anytime is a good thing. Well, and, and you do a great job of kind of outlining um, for somebody who's never prayed before, which I know a lot of my listeners struggle with prayer. And you talk about, you use the acronym PRAY for the first four days of the week, praise, repent, ask, yield. And then on Sat on Friday, you pray for family and friends, Saturday challenge, and then Sunday Sabbath. And I have lots of questions about all of these, but uh, talk to me about the yield. I'm, I'm an, I identify as an eight on the Enneagram, so I'm naturally aggressive. Uh, what does it mean to yield to God in, in the way that you've kind of envisioned it in, in prayer life? What do you want? Mm. Now that I have told you who I remember that you are, I've celebrated and thanked you for being who you are, praise. And I've said, I'm sorry, because I realized that I'm an imperfect creature and I'm probably doing something or have done or can think of something that I'm, how I've offended you. And I've asked you for what I want. Now, what do you want? Even with the things that I've asked you for, I'm going to lay the answer to my request down at your feet. I'm going to trust that you know best. I'm going to say, how can I get out of the way so that you can be glorified? How can I operate today so that I'm doing what you want me to do? It is a daily surrender. It is the idea that I'm willing to, um, to yield, surrender, or sacrifice, even if that's what it feels like. What I want and how I want to get things done for what you want and how you want to get things done. It is just saying, I don't go first. You do. And to constantly remind yourself as you pray for different areas of your life and as you seek God for different answers in your life to acknowledge that he knows best, that his ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are not our thoughts. And that even with all the things you've talked about, you're willing to get out the way if necessary. I'm curious, uh, which one of the days of the week is, is hardest for you? Like, as you think about this as an outline and realizing that, you know, a, a book like this is probably a season and, and you even talk about your prayer plan moving forward, but is there a particular part of this equation that's uh, difficult for you? Praise, because I want to get to asking for what I want. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I got to do this obligatory art. Yes, thank you. Okay, I praise you because, and then, you know, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, think about it. We, you know, the people of Israel, uh, you know, the Israelites, it was just easier for them to grumble and complain. Yeah. You know, they kept forgetting to say, oh, yes, thank you for getting us out of slavery. Oh, Yeah. Thank you for giving us manna. Oh, yes. Thank you for the question. I mean, they just kept going to what we want. And we are selfish creatures. Every Amen. author who's written a book knows this. If you don't write a book thinking, what does my reader get out of this? They won't finish your book. So you have to think even when you market uh, people on Wall Street. And uh, I'm sorry, you know, uh, in New York, you know, all the 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 the, the store, you, you know, this people have to say, what's in it for me? And right. anybody who markets, anybody who markets knows this, what's in it for me. So because we're wired that way, I mean, I just, you know, I have to say, okay, God, <laughs> let me talk about you for a second. But we know this in business, how to win friends and influence people. If you want to have a good conversation with somebody and you want them to be open to everything else you have to stay, say, it's the sandwich principle. I'm going to say something good. I'm going to praise you for something that's happening. Now I'm going to slip in there the thing that we have to work on. 
but you know, constructive criticism, but then I'm gonna come back and you know, remember who you are. You know, I mean, it's the way we're wired to hear. Yeah. So even though it's not the way we're wired to pray, to ask, to request, we're thinking about ourselves first, we have to acknowledge that when we're talking to somebody else, the way that they're wired to hear is to hear the good stuff first. And God is no different. Uh, I, I, pr- I appreciate that. I, I think it's just so easy to skim past the praise part, um, especially once you're outside. Sunday morning feels like a big celebration of praise, you know, when we're worshiping and doing all that jazz, but then Monday comes and I got that to-do list and it feels overwhelming and all the things. Um, after, you know, you talk about the 29th day, which is every day kind of going forward. What has been um, some of your intentionality moving forward in, in your prayer plan? Um, and and how did you how did you come up with that term prayer plan? Because I've never thought about it like a like a strategy before, but it it resonates with me. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's come up a lot of ways in my life. It started in the sixth grade because I had a teacher named Mrs. Hall who is still living and lives about 15 minutes from me. Oh, that's favorite awesome. teacher. And uh, she had this book and, uh, and, it, and it literally was a binder that she bought and I bought one and it literally laid out your plan. Like mm. you, 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 what days of the week you prayed for what things and, you know, and it led you and guided you. So you were praying for your country and you were praying for your family and you were praying for the unsaved and you were praying for that window of people on the other side of the world who still have yet to hear the gospel. I mean, it was, it lined it out. So it helped you to know what to pray for. Then you fast forward that my grandmother had that spiral notebook. Then you fast forward Priscilla in, in, in her book and in her movie where she talked about prayer, you know, war room and having a prayer plan, a prayer strategy. You know, I mean, it, it's just kind of been a recurring thing in my life to be reminded of the importance of not haphazardly it's like dating your spouse. If, if you haphazardly say, well, I know we're supposed to spend time together. You'll never go out on a date. Like, you, <laughs> right. you, you know, especially if you've got kids and you got work and all these things, you have to decide, like, this is how we're going to show up. And then many couples understand that if we don't say, okay, when we're together, we're not going to talk about the kids, at least one of these dates. We're not gonna, like, we're going to talk about each other. Like, sure. If you don't have those decisions made ahead of time, You'll get sucked into whatever is happening in life for the conversation or even not having the date at all. And I think prayer is the same way. So that's where the, the idea came. But I, I think too that I am a I like to launch people into things. I mean, I've got um, you know, a membership site where we do a lot of things. And one of them, we did a 21-day journey and it was just like looking at you. What are your gifts? What are your abilities? How are you needing to steward the the, the gifts of God in you. And then we just launched this 90 day journey of getting things done. And here's what I love and hate about those things. And even the <laughs> 20 day prayer situation is people will be motivated and excited for the 21 or the 28 or the 90. And then they fall off yeah. because they don't, they don't know after the thing, you know, I mean, dieting is like this after you get off of Jenny Craig or Weight Watchers, or you finish with that 21 day fix, then I mean, I have lost the same 40 pounds over and over in my life. It's not that I don't know how to lose it. It's that after that, what does it look like to maintain it? Yeah. You know, and maintenance is where we actually win the battle. That's mm. where we win it is having a plan for maintenance. And we know this with our cars. We know this with our bodies. We know this with our marriages. Well, the same is true for prayer. Uh, one of the things that 
I think um, you do a tremendous job of across your ministry is building community. Um, and, and I've seen it with your sister circle and, and all the different things that you do. Can you kind of tell us how important community is to, to just all of your spiritual disciplines in terms of not just trying to be the lone ranger in this? Well, I figure if Jesus left heaven and he had the father and he had the spirit and he came to earth and said, even though I am fully God, hmm. and even though I'm still a part of this Trinity, I'm going to get me 12 guys. I'm going to get, get 12. I'm going to make some friends. Yeah. If Jesus has to say that and he didn't need them, how much more do we? I, I think community is clearly outlined in the Bible as the way we are supposed to operate in this earth. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I mean, all these different things. And so I think that we have to understand that there are some things that while we can do them on our own, we don't do them as powerfully on our own or as consistently on our own or as deeply on our own. Uh, as as we do in community. And the reality is it's not until we have community that we actually know, we, we actually can know for sure where our strengths and weaknesses are because we have a high opinion often of ourselves. And it's not until you actually have to deal with the friction, have to disciple somebody, have to be accountable to other people that you see where your own blind spots are. And then community can be such a valuable resource when you're trying to build a habit like studying your Bible or engaging in prayer consistently. Yeah. Uh, anything, when, when you're trying to grow, there's nobody that doesn't need community. Uh, total double no- negative there. <laughs> there <laughs> there's nobody that, 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 that operates without community that at some point in time realizes that they need somebody else. Now, if I go to the gym and I'm a gym rat and I, I say I'm going to, I'm going to work out and I don't, I want to work out by myself. That's fine. But I can guarantee you that there's a magazine they're reading, a website that they're, that they're subscribed to a person who they follow on Instagram to get some tips. Yeah. How do they do this? You know, how do they, so we're always looking to other people as resources for how to do better. And how would you know if you need to do better unless you are in community of some kind um, to help you to see, because we don't usually see ourselves clearly. So I think that in prayer, um, particularly praying as a community, small group, as a church, in your family, with friends, that can help because it can provide a, a runway for consistency. But also when you're trying to, to do that, there are some benefits that we have being prayed for by other people, by being vulnerable enough to say, man, uh, you know, I've got this need. I've been praying about it, but I would really appreciate, you know, your, your, your prayers with me on this. And God operates in unity and you can't have unity by yourself. I love that. God operates in unity. Um, Okay. So I know that some of my listeners are going to want to become part of your community. Where is the best place for them to start and to get connected to you on the interwebs? Yeah, 100%. Just go to my website, crystalevanshurst.com. Right below my picture, there is a spot where you can give me your email and email is the best way for you to find out about everything else. Of course, on social media, I'm everywhere at Crystal Hurst, except for TikTok and You're not Snapchat. Doing it, huh? You're not I'm doing just TikTok? not doing it. Now, Snapchat, I grabbed my name. TikTok, I was like, I'm not, I just, I'm done. I just, I'm just, I'm done. I think you don't you know, want to do all kids, the dances. I don't want to do all the dances, <laughs> but uh, just at Crystal Hurst on social media and crystalevanshurst.com for my website and to join the email list. Uh, okay. So the last question I always love to ask people, it's an advice question. If you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice and I, I'm going to take you back to the day, 
um, that you decided to post on Instagram that you were in a dry season and needed prayer. If you could go back, uh, you've been through all of this now and, and this book is finally coming out through the publisher and various forms. What's the one piece of advice that you would give yourself, maybe either about writing or about prayer or just about your walk? Mm. Don't despise your dry seasons. Mm. Because one of the things I believe is that Romans 8.28 is true. God can cause all things to work together. And I don't mean that because that dry season became a book. I'm saying the dry season has given birth to a level of knowledge and experience with God and a feeling with God that I wouldn't have have had if 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 the uh, if if the pool wasn't empty, <laughs> you know, if, if the if the river wasn't dry, I wouldn't appreciate the the roaring rapids. And so, when you have dry seasons, to acknowledge that they are dry, that they are yucky, that they are hard but that God can fill your cup, which then puts you in a position to know him in a new way, to carry your experience of him to other people in places who need to know that he can meet them too. And what it can teach you, the wisdom it can give you and the terrain that you can cover because you know what it is to be dry and then you know what it is to be full again. So don't despise them because God can use them. Whew, that'll preach every day of the week. Crystal, thank you so much for your generosity today and your time and your honesty and your vulnerability. I truly appreciate it on what you're doing for prayer in the church. And I believe that prayer and repentance always precede revival. And so my prayer for this book is that it leads people to individual and corporate revival as the church. Amen. Amen. Wow. What a rich conversation with Crystal Evans Hertz. I love her passion for prayer and kind of the way that she has worked it into a system that anyone can follow. I know some of the things that really stuck with me is that conviction around stillness. Oh, I need more of that in my life, especially in this COVID season. I also love the way that she talks about becoming addicted to your time with Jesus. So many good nuggets from this episode. Do me a favor, reach out to Crystal, tell her how much you enjoyed it and how much you enjoyed hearing her on the Reclamation Podcast. And as always, you can pick up your copy of her new book, 28 Day Prayer Journey at christianbook.com. The link is in the show notes. It's a great way to support the podcast and get your best, most favorite, it's not really great English, products on the market. It's the world's biggest online uh, Christian bookstore, and we are so happy to be partnering with them. And if you're ready to become a member of the Reclamation community, text the word RECLAIM to 66866. Thank you so much. Look forward to hearing you guys next week.